The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy Veterans Day weekend to you here on the Rick Edelman Show. I hope you've had the opportunity to thank those in your life and those of you have encountered who have graciously and with often great sacrifice served our nation. I've had a uh, whirlwind of a couple of weeks. I just finished a 10-day travel stint. A little bit awkward, isn't it, getting out and about uh, in this uh, pandemic world? Uh, And yet it feels really good all at the same time. I began uh, my journeys off to Dallas, where I spoke at the Tiburon CEO Summit, uh, blockchain and Bitcoin and digital assets, to a couple of hundred CEOs in the financial services field and C-level executives. And then from there, went to Stanford University, where I am on the advisory board of Stanford's Center on Longevity. We had a two-day conference in the further development of the new map of life. I've talked about this periodically on the show, uh, where we are acknowledging that longevity is changing the very fabric of society. Uh, You know, we have the old map of life, which was frankly formulated about 100 years ago, and you're familiar with it. You know, you're born, you go to school, you go to work, you retire, you die. You do those things in that order, and that that, that was developed during the industrial age. Well, that made sense when you retired at 62 and were dead at 65, but today people are living to 85, and it's not going to be terribly long before we're living to age 100. Scientists in the field of gerontology and longevity research are pretty much in agreement that if you're alive in the year 2030, odds are pretty good you're going to be alive to age 100 or beyond. And if that's true, if we're going to tack on another 20 years of life to the end of our lives, well, that doesn't make sense. A 40-year retirement? First of all, who can afford that? Second of all, you're going to play golf? You're going to garden for 40 years? That could get really boring. People want to be contributing to society. We want to be engaged. We want to be participating. And so we need a new map of life. And that is what we're doing at Stanford, is taking those extra 20 years and splicing them into our entire lives. One approach that I've suggested is, you know, why are we sending children to school at kindergarten at age six and going to grade 12? Why don't we go K through 15? And instead of sending children immediately to college at age 18, why don't we send them into a community and national service, whether it's the military or the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps or some other way that we can all give back to the communities and the nation that we live in, and then go to college in our mid to late 20s, not for four or six years, but for eight or 10 years, and then emerge from that in our mid to late 30s working through our 70s and 80s with interspersal opportunities for multi-year sabbaticals, return to education, and so on. That is the new map of life. 
that we are developing at Stanford. And after working on that for a couple of days, then I went to Vegas for a few days, and I didn't get to see the Whitney Houston concert. Yeah, that's Whitney Houston, of course, one of the greatest music legends. Whitney Houston is performing on stage at Harrah's in Las Vegas. I know your eyebrows just went up because Whitney Houston died nine years ago. She's now a hologram, and this live show has a four-piece band and four dancers. Whitney herself is a computer-generated face digitally grafted on an actress who's serving as a body double. She walks around the stage, salutes the band and the crowd, slinks and dances. There are even wardrobe changes. And they're planning to take Whitney on tour in 2023. Some call this ghost slavery. But if it proves commercially popular, you can expect to see Elvis, John Lennon, Patsy Cline, and you name it, coming to a stage near you. And I... I missed Whitney, but what I did get was a visit with my family and my niece's wedding celebration, which was delayed, by the way, for uh, a year and a half because of COVID. One of the hundreds of thousands of brides and grooms who were forced to delay plans because of the pandemic. And it was really kind of funny. You know how in an, in an ordinary wedding, the wedding is often held in a church or, or some location, and then the wedding party moves to a hotel or other uh, catering venue, often at another location, and the wedding party then goes underway. Well, that's exactly what we did, except it was separated not by a couple of miles between the church and the wedding party event. It was separated by 18 months because the wedding was held quite a while ago, with a big interruption due to COVID, Alex was married in uh, my brother Brad's, her dad's backyard with just the immediate family. And then the big party was held this past week. So she was in her wedding dress and the wedding band was there and the catering and the uh, speeches by the groom's best man and the father-daughter uh, first dance and all that kind of good stuff. And it was like a time warp. It was really kind of fun and funny uh, all at the same time. And then from there, I went to New York where uh, we awarded the uh, Luminaries Awards. I was one of the judges this year, uh, hosted by Think Advisor, a major trade publication in the financial services field. It's really kind of funny. You know, you, you know you're over the hill when instead of giving you an award, they ask you to give the awards out to others. So I, that's kind of how I was <laughs> kind of feeling about that. The luminaries celebrated the leaders of the financial services industry. 91 awards were given out over the course of the evening. And I'm very happy to announce that Edelman Financial Engines received three of those awards for executive leadership, diversity and inclusion, and thought leadership and education, which, of course, is very near and dear to my heart. 
So we're very excited about receiving those awards. The awards were determined by an independent panel of judges. There were, I think, about a dozen of us. And yes, I recused myself for the awards that Edelman Financial Engines was under consideration for. So here we are on uh, Veterans Day weekend, and I'm starting to see the deadlines in front of me as we approach our final broadcasts of The Rick Edelman Show before this radio show winds down. As as I had told you starting back in, in June, Gene and I are leaving Edelman Financial Engines, the firm we founded 36 years ago, now one of the largest independent registered investment advisory firms in the country with, I don't know, what is it now, $270, $280 billion in assets under management. We're serving more than 1.3 million households across the country. We're the largest provider of advice to 401k plans in the nation with about 120 or more of the Fortune 500 as our clients. And so Gene and I are leaving the firm after 36 years, and we are beginning to engage in a variety of other activities. Longevity, as I noted, uh, the research that, that we are participating in to help society figure out what to do with the additional decades that we're going to find ourselves living in and the financial challenges associated with that. Uh, the proposal that I created called RISE, the Retirement Income Security for Everyone proposal, you can learn about it at wecanrise.com, which is designed to solve the nation's income and wealth and equity problem and simultaneously eliminate poverty in retirement for all future generations. Uh, part of the work that we've done in creating the Funding Our Future Coalition, FundingOurFuture.us, which Edelman Financial Engines is a key underwriter and sponsor of. And uh, the philanthropic work we're doing with the Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park at Rowan University, the Edelman Planetarium, and the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, all at Rowan University. Well, we've got a lot going on. And one of the big areas that we have involvement in is one of the areas you are increasingly asking questions about. Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? What are digital assets? What is this thing called the blockchain? It's a big focus of conversation. It's going mainstream. And when we return here on The Rick Edelman Show, I'm going to give you the illustrations of why that is so and what it means for you. So stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show as we approach our final broadcasts over the next month. Stay with us for more. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. Money doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. I just mentioned to you uh, before we uh, separated a moment ago that Bitcoin and digital assets are going mainstream. You've certainly heard about it, even if you don't know what it is. Evidence that Bitcoin and crypto in general is going mainstream? Well, Robinhood, the big online discount broker, announced that they're launching a digital wallet next year, and 1.6 million people have already signed up for the waiting list to be able to open an account there. 
rather astonishing. And more established companies that have been around a lot longer than Robinhood are jumping in on this. McDonald's has launched a sweepstakes, and they're awarding non-fungible tokens, NFTs. State Farm has launched an augmented reality treasure hunt, and the prize are NFTs. You use your mobile phone to search around college campuses for more than a million virtual footballs. You get to keep or sell the ones that you find, and many of them have prizes. American Eagle Outfitter, they're selling 120 NFTs for a dollar each. Campbell's, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Charmin, Clinique, Pringles, they've all launched promotions based on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And have you ever heard of Landry's? You've likely eaten at one of their restaurants. It's a huge restaurant chain with dozens of brand names. Aquarium, Bill's Bar and Grill, Bloom and Bee, Bluefin, Bloathouse, Brenner's, Bubba Gump Seafood, Cadillac Ranch, The Chard House, Del Frisco, Devon Seafood Grill, Dos Caminos, Fisherman's Wharf, Flying Dutchman, Henry's, Houlihan's, The Palm, Joe's Crab Shack, Boardwalk Inn, Kincaid's, Maggie Bluffs, Maestro's Restaurant, McCormick and Schmick, Morton's, Ocean Air, Rainforest Cafe, The Palm Restaurant, Vicks and Anthony's Steakhouse. They have 500 locations, dozens of different brands. And now, when you go into any of these restaurants, you'll get loyalty points. And the loyalty points will be paid in Bitcoin. Spend $250, you get $25 in Bitcoin. And Landry's is not only giving away Bitcoin, they're buying Bitcoin for their own corporate cash reserves. Burger King is partnering with Robinhood Crypto, giving away millions of dollars in Bitcoin and Ethereum. You buy $5 or more of food using the Burger King app, and you get a prize code via an email. And you send the email, you use it uh, on the Robinhood app. Kind of amazing. And how about Eric Adams? He's the new mayor-elect of New York City. He wants New York City to have its own cryptocurrency. He said, quote, we're going to become the center of Bitcoin. And to prove the point, he's announced that he's going to take his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. He's competing, actually, with Francis Suarez. He's the mayor of Miami. And Suarez said he would take his paycheck in Bitcoin. And Eric Adams in New York three-upped him by saying, I'll take three paychecks in Bitcoin. So there's a little bit of inflation going on there. How about Tim Cook, the chief executive of Apple? He has gone public this past week saying that he owns Bitcoin. He said, quote, I think it's reasonable to own it as part of a diversified portfolio. With all of this mainstreaming, it's not at all a surprise that jobs are skyrocketing in the blockchain and digital asset space. Banks and other financial firms, we're talking about J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, UBS, Citigroup, and Goldman Sachs. They've all added about 1,000 jobs over the past couple of years focused on crypto. And now, according to a report just released this week, U.S. job postings, Featuring the words crypto or blockchain are up over 600% compared to a year ago. If you're sending a child to college, you might want to tell them to focus on crypto or blockchain engineering, software, or other related industries. In fact, hiring by major financial service companies in the crypto or blockchain space is up 40% in the first six months of this year. Everybody, everywhere seems to be adding 
crypto jobs. And we're not just talking engineers, by the way, sales reps, writers, creative designers, all of this related to this space. And to give you an illustration of the incredible focus in banks, Bank of America alone last year filed more than 160 patent applications involving digital payments technologies. Bank of New York Mellon and Northern Trust are providing custodial services for Bitcoin. Goldman Sachs is posting digital asset prices for its hedge fund clients. So clearly, this is now mainstream. And that is why I've just written my 11th book, The Truth About Crypto. The book will be published by Simon & Schuster in May. You can already pre-order the book at Amazon and your favorite booksellers. And I'm really excited about it. It will give you the information you need to understand this technology and its role in business. And if you are so inclined to pursue investments in it, understanding the investment opportunities, the investment thesis, what are the different ways you can proceed, and how can you work with your financial advisor to help make sure you don't get yourself into trouble. All right, let's continue talking about this, speaking of investments, and talk about a little bit more of the more routine element of investing. Well, let's look at what's going on in the world of Wall Street. General Electric made news this week that it's breaking itself up. GE was founded in 1892, and we all have been using all of their products for literally more than 100 years. Light bulbs, televisions, washing machines. Jet engines, generators, medical equipment. GE now says the investing world doesn't like international corporate conglomerates that do a little bit of everything. So they're splitting themselves up into three companies. One of them, healthcare. Another one, energy. And the third, aviation. This is an illustration that the companies that were hugely successful in the 20th century are not the companies that are going to be positioned for success in the 21st century. You need to make sure that you're investing in companies of the future as opposed to the successful ones of the past. And to give you any illustration of this, look no further than Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett's company, its profits in the third quarter declined 66%. Talk about an incredibly successful company of the 20th century. Buffett, remarkably and rather conspicuously, doesn't have very much exposure in the kinds of companies engaged in exponential technologies. He was very late to the party, even buying Apple stock. So that's a wonderful illustration of it. And don't assume that just because a company is involved in technology, that it's therefore going to do well. We all remember the dot-com bubble of 1999 that blew up in 2000. Look more recently at Peloton. This company skyrocketed during the pandemic. Everybody was stuck in their homes, couldn't go to the gym, couldn't even go outside during the lockdown. Peloton stock skyrocketed as people bought workout equipment they could use in their homes. Earlier this week, Peloton stock fell 34% in a single day. It's the lowest stock price in about a year and a half. Back in the height of the pandemic, or is that the right word for it? Peloton stock surged 250%. The stock was up 400%. But this year, the stock is down 60%. 
you need to be careful before you jump in to the latest fad. Another example is Zillow. Firing 25% of its employees, stopped buying homes. It's written off $300 million, and it's going to write off another $265 million by the end of the year as its home buying strategy hasn't worked. The stock is down 37%. Yeah, pay attention to companies of the future, but don't get caught up in the hype. Oh, and speaking of hype, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about Tesla. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Every week, I like to bring you the latest and greatest in the field of exponential technologies. What are the new innovations that are coming our way that are going to make our lives better? Well, along comes Flippy, a new robot. Flippy's been around a long while, actually, several years. Flippy pulls raw patties from a stack of them in a fast food restaurant, puts them on the grill, tracks how long they're cooking, and then takes the cooked burgers and puts them on a plate. Flippy only costs $30,000. Yeah, Flippy's been around for five years, and guess what? Flippy can now cook 19 different foods, not just burgers, but chicken wings, onion rings, french fries, the Impossible Burger. It does the work of an entire fry station without any human assistance. It works twice as fast as the original Flippy did, too. Still, only thirty grand. Fast food restaurant operators can do that instead of hiring workers. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. More with the publisher of the newsletter, Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. to the Rick Edelman Show. We've been talking about what's going on in the world of investing. We talked about Zillow stock and General Electric. Now, Tesla. The stock is down 16% in just two days. This as a result of Elon Musk, the world's richest man, tweeting that he was willing to sell some of his stock if people felt that he ought to do so. And the Twitter poll came in with that answer. And so, sure enough, he sold some stock, dumping a huge amount of shares onto the market. The stock market wasn't happy about it. Tesla stock down 16% in just two days. It just illustrates for you that volatility is an inherent aspect of investing. We saw Peloton drop in value dramatically. It's stock down 34% in a single day. Zillow stock down 37% in a single day. Tesla stock down 16% in just a couple of days. We need to recognize that volatility is an inherent part of investing. And because any one thing can happen at any one time to any one company unexpectedly, this is why you need to diversify. If the only stock you owned was Peloton or Zillow or Tesla, you'd be in a world of hurt right now. You might be panicking. You might be having anxiety, sleepless nights, arguments with your spouse. But if it's part of a highly diversified portfolio, if it's merely one of thousands of stocks, well then, you know, so what? Because the stock market itself has been doing well, but individual stocks within the market might not be. 
And in fact, this is one of my criticisms of the S&P 500 stock index. I mean, you want to invest in a diversified way, so what better way to do that than to buy an index fund? The S&P 500, for example, a basket of 500 of the largest companies in America. Well, the problem is that the S&P 500 stock index is not equal weighted. In other words, each of those 500 stocks does not have an equal percentage of assets in the index. It's weighted based on the size of the company. Tesla has 2.5% of the assets of the S&P 500. 2.5%. That's a lot more than most stocks. It has 4% exposure of the Russell 1000 growth index. This doesn't make a lot of sense. You are investing overweighted in Tesla, underweighted in other stocks, and that creates outsized levels of risk. So keep in mind how you choose your ETFs and mutual funds matters a great deal. Which investments you're choosing, how much of your money you're putting into each of those investments, when or whether you rebalance, how you engage in the tax management this is what portfolio management's all about. And if you don't know how to do all that, research those investments, analyze them, understand their composition, figuring out when to rebalance, how to rebalance, and whether or not you need to do tax loss harvesting at the end of the year, well, that's why you hire a financial advisor. If you know how to do all that stuff and you enjoy taking the time to do all that stuff, then go ahead, do all that stuff all on your own. But if you don't have the time, if you don't have the knowledge, if you don't want to, for any of those reasons, that's why you hire a financial advisor. Oh, and by the way, speaking of Tesla, you know, they're all the rage because they're the biggest electric car manufacturer in the world. But there's another one that is getting attention, Rivian. It's another electric vehicle automotive company. They make pickup trucks. They just did their IPO this past week, valuing the company at more than $100 billion. It's the biggest IPO since 2014. This is amazing. Rivian is worth more than Ford, more than General Motors. Ford is worth $77 billion. GM is worth $86 billion. Rivian's IPO values it at $100 billion. And here's the craziest part. Rivian will sell this year less than 1,000 pickup trucks. That's it, 1,000. And they're worth more than Ford and GM as far as investors are concerned. Clearly, investors are betting that Rivian is going to build a lot of factories and sell a lot of trucks. And apparently, people think that that's going to happen, whereas it's not going to happen with GM or Ford. I don't get it, but that's what investors are saying. Meantime, we got some pretty negative news in the world of inflation. Inflation hit a 30-year high in October, consumer prices jumped 6.2% from a year ago. It's the fastest 12-month increase in inflation since 1990. Gas prices are up 50% from a year ago. We haven't seen that since 2014. Pork is up 14%, the biggest price increase since 1990. New cars are up 10%, biggest price rise since 1975. And furniture and bedding? Bad news for you new homeowners, those prices are up the most since 1951. 80% of companies surveyed say they have higher labor costs. 60% of small business owners say they have raised prices in the past 90 days. And the chief economist at Oxford says, quote, things are going to get worse before they get better. 
Now, for all these reasons, you might be thinking things are pretty terrible right now. Joe Biden, after all, has a terrible approval rating. Inflation's high and rising. Supply chain problems, uh, a big issue today. Taxes are going up. The holidays are coming up. You know, nearly half of consumers dread the holidays. 25% say they're already losing sleep over it. 40% dread Christmas. 13% dread Thanksgiving. And 13% are still paying off the bills from last year's holiday season. 41% of Americans say they're going to go into debt shopping for the holidays this year. That's 41%. Last year, it was 31%. So even though we were in the midst of the crisis last year, it's even worse right now. This is crazy. Unemployment is only 4.6% and it's falling. Americans have two and a half trillion dollars in savings, more than if there was no pandemic at all. The median U.S. household has 50% more money in the bank than in 2019 before the pandemic began. And yet, despite all of this, 68% say the economy's getting worse. It's not getting worse. It's getting better. Why do you think it's getting worse? There's more pessimism now than there was in April of 09. Remember April of 09? That was at the depths of the credit crisis. And by the way, both Republicans and Democrats feel this way. It isn't a political party issue. All Americans are feeling like the market really stinks, that the economy is really terrible. The S&P 500 is up 27% so far this year. Congress is about to pass a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. There's going to be another $2.5 trillion to come after that. Why is everybody feeling that everything is so bad? In fact, the Dow just hit an all-time high, 36,000. There was a book written of that title, you might recall, Dow 36,000. The book was written by James Glassman and Kevin Hassett back in 1999. They said back then that the stock market should be worth 36,000. They said it would happen within a few years. (laughs) It took 22 years, thank you. Jim Glassman was a columnist for the Washington Post, later the Undersecretary of State for George W. Bush. Hassett was the chief economic advisor for Donald Trump. I had him on the radio show here just last month. They were rather early in their prediction, and that's kind of my point. You know, there's a joke in economic circles that when you make predictions, offer a price or a date, but never both in the same sentence. Yeah, they were right. They were just early. In other words, investing is something you do for the long term eventually the Dow will hit the highs. My prediction still stands. We're going to see a Dow Jones Industrial Average of 150,000. I'm also putting a date on it, 2040. Yeah, about 20 years from now. That's just assuming a 10% average annual rate of return, which is, by the way, the average annual return of the stock market since 1926, according to Ibbotson. If the Dow produces a 10% rate of return, it'll double about every seven years, well, we have three doublings between now and 150, right? Right now, the Dow's 36,000. You double it once in seven years, that puts it at 72,000. You double it again in another seven years, that puts it at 140,000. That's only 14 years. You double it again in another seven years, and you're at 280,000. That's assuming a 10% return. If you only get a 7% return, which is 30% less than what the stock market has actually performed over the past 100 plus years, you're going to be at 140000 by 2040. Of course, past performance is no guarantee of future results. This is why my prediction, although it sounds astonishing, a Dow of 150000 it's not so astonishing 
at all, which is why you really only have a very simple question. Are you going to invest today for the next 20 years, or are you going to later wish that you did? I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Stay with us for more here on the program. If you've got questions about your investment strategy, call us, 888-PLAN-RICK. Visit online at ricedelman.com. author of the number one national bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. I want to shift our conversation over to the horrific tragedy at Astroworld and the music festival in Houston. Eight dead, as we all know, hundreds were injured. And and as I talk about this, I am going to give this a financial angle, an investment management angle. And as I do that, I do not intend in any way to suggest that the investment angle I'm about to share with you in any way rises to the level of the horrific tragedy of the incredible loss of life that we experienced in that event. But there is a message here that I believe is worthwhile talking about. So please, I, I, I hope you'll, you'll place this into the context that I intended uh, in this conversation. We don't know why the event occurred at Astroworld. We don't know what triggered it. But suddenly, without warning, chaos began and the crowd suddenly inexplicably began to rush the stage and that created panic and that led to injuries, screams, and the screams led to additional panic. One person said that the crowd began to push back and forth and the quote that he provided to a reporter was the following quote, I couldn't even stand or breathe or anything and I'm six feet tall and I was having to look up to the sky just to breathe before the show even started. People just started collapsing and falling back. 30 people were dogpiled on each other and screaming for help. People at the bottom were definitely suffocating. I thought I was going to die. There was no escape. Wow, that's a profound statement, and the visual imagery is just bone-chilling. The reason that I'm mentioning it is because of a report issued by the Federal Reserve earlier this week, which was not related, of course, to Astroworld or the tragedy, But I couldn't help but notice parallels. The experience of the crowd-crushing chaos and panic at the concert has some parallels to the investing world. The Federal Reserve this week issued a report warning that social media echo chambers pump up stocks. Social media echo chambers? They say that stocks that experience major volatility as a result of social media attention, could actually threaten the nation's overall financial stability. The Fed referred to Twitter, Reddit, and other platforms that encourage rapid buying and selling of stocks, along with mobile apps like Robinhood. The Fed report said social media can pump up interest in stocks and create an echo chamber where, quote, Investors find themselves communicating most frequently with others with similar views, thereby reinforcing their views 
even if these views are speculative or biased. An echo chamber. When one person starts to hype a stock, another person jumps in and hypes the stock. And then other people start hyping the stock, and the stock gets hyped only because people are hyping it. And this echo chamber persists and grows and grows as people bid up the price of the stock, nobody really understanding why. It's just herd mentality until ultimately prices get crushed and people get hurt financially. We saw this physically happen at Astroworld with deadly results. The Fed is warning that this could happen financially with devastating investment results, not just to the people who are engaged in that pump and dump environment of the individual stocks involved. The Fed is worried that it could threaten the nation's financial stability as the meme stocks and the trading activity that's isolated there could spill over to the broader economy, just as the housing crisis of 08 spilled into the stock market with the resulting credit crisis of a little more than a decade ago. Be aware of the potential for getting caught up in something like this. It starts without warning. It grabs steam very quickly. And before you know it, you'll find yourself saying, there's no escape. We need to prepare ourselves, protect ourselves. And how better to do that than proper diversification and a long-term financial focus? Time now for everyone's favorite segment of the program, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. Jean. Hello, everyone. Good to be here today to share. Today, I want to talk about an emotional cord. My sister and I had a chance to visit my parents this weekend. As I have shared before, they're in their mid-80s. But this weekend, I started thinking about when they pass and the emotional cord that I have with them. So what is an emotional cord? And I'm saying C-O-R-D, cord. It's a relationship we have with our family, our partner, our friends, our coworkers. The cord is developed over time, and it's the emotional connection and attachment that we have with each other. I think understanding that these cords exist can be very helpful in understanding our relationship with others especially when we have a toxic or unhealthy relationship in our lives. At some point, we literally need to cut the cord and stop the emotional connection. The reason this is front of mind for me is that in just a few short weeks, Rick and I will be asked to cut the cord with our beloved company. The decades with our clients, planners, and staff. The decades of working together with our planners and staff the years on the radio with all of you. I share this with you because Rick and I are processing this major event in our life, and we are processing cutting this emotional cord. So what are healthy things to do when we have a very big life change and an emotional cord to cut? Number one is get outside. We need to move and move those emotions through our body Movement and breath is key. Eating healthy and light foods. When we're processing a lot of life, we shouldn't burden our digestive system with heavy foods. We should be going towards lots of soups and drinking a lot of water. The third thing we need to do is journal. 
We need to write out everything we're feeling. No one's going to read it, but just us. So write out all the things we're feeling so that that will help us process what's going on. And number four is to be with friends and family. We need to be able to talk about this. Find some friends or family in a nice, cozy place and spend some time together. We all process life changes. We just happen to be sharing ours with you. But have no fear, we will be close by. And we look forward to staying connected. So my word of the week is CORD, C-O-R-D. The C is for calm. When we find ourselves overwhelmed, we need to breathe and stay calm. We need to look around and find something very pretty to look at or just close our eyes and breathe. O is to stay open-hearted. When emotions are high, we actually tend to close our hearts to protect ourselves. When we really should keep an open heart so we can be available for the new that is coming our way. The R is for rest. We need to give ourselves permission to stop. When we're processing a lot of life, we actually have the tendency to just keep going, 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 going. But it's really better to stop, to listen to our intuition, to what it is that we need emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And the D is to dance. Dance, dance, dance. Turn up the music. Find our favorite music. Move our bodies. Cry, shout, let it all out. We should not keep it in. We should not keep it pent up. It must leave our body or we will make ourselves sick. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share. I value our relationship and I trust our relationship. The holidays are coming up fast, so I want to encourage you to take care of you. If there's any emotional cords with any of these family gatherings, let's enjoy the process of preparation and sharing with our family and friends. I wish you all a beautiful and wonderful weekend. Thank you, Gene, for that. This is a, a very special time for us. As always, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. A reminder, our full podcast has even more of your calls, as well as a discussion with Dr. James Katz of Age Management in Boston about Alzheimer's, dementia-related conditions, and what you really can do now to treat and prevent. All that and more on this week's podcast at rickedelman.com. Happy Veterans Day, and I'll see you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.